These are my confessions, the iced coffee confessions with Suzette. Hello, loves. Welcome to the newest episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions with your girl, Suzette. I know it has been almost a year since I released an episode of this podcast, and a lot has happened in a year. I would say that 2019 was both probably one of my best years and also one of my saddest years as I had to say goodbye in this life to my father, but I know that he is always with me. I think what was also really important for me coming out of 2019 was needing to do more than Auntie Max said and reclaiming my time. I'm actually trying to work on reclaiming my feminine essence and energy. There is this interview with Oprah where she talks about being able to have it all, but you can't have it all at once. But I do think at a minimum, I should be able to have multiple things. (laughs) One time. I ain't trying to be greedy, Lord. But I do want to make sure that as I am focused on career, I'm focused on community and focused on creating access and opportunity um, for communities of color, that I don't lose myself or my sense of being a woman that wants romance and love and more than just kind of like the romantic love, but self-love and all the other forms of love that come with it. Um, But also like realizing and recognizing that I'm also a sexual being. And so sexuality is also a part of our feminine essence. And so to that end, I'm starting a series with one of my good Judy's, my good girlfriends, Michelle Hope, talking about this being prime time, prime time of life. I feel like they talk about women over 35 beginning to come into like the full awareness of who they are from a holistic perspective, being it. Um, everything from being, you know, the career slaying sexual vixen to, you know, just owning more of who we are. And I thought, um, to launch kind of my series on talking about feminine essence and energies and really claiming who we are and talking about sexual health and wellness over 35, Michelle would be an amazing starting place. One, because Michelle Hope is probably one of the most authentic (laughs) women I've ever not even women, people, Michelle, that I've ever had the opportunity to meet. But I just really appreciate and value the truth and honesty that she brings to the conversation. And so welcome, Michelle. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. uh, To the Iced Coffee Confessions. And this is, as always, going to be a conversation amongst girlfriends. I will say, I'm not sure if this is going to be safe for work. You should probably use your headphones (laughs) and listening to this. Or if you're like, everybody need to hear this. Just want to make sure that you're comfortable with. We are going to be getting deep and talking about some really important things that does include our sexual health and well-being. And so let's kind of dive in. And so the first question, Michelle, I asked all of my guests on the Iced Coffee Confessions is, what did they forget to tell us, in particular women, about life after 35? That dating sucks. <laughs> no, I, no, I think that um, amongst many other things... I think they forgot to tell us that if it's not right where we wanted to be or right where we thought it was going to be, that that's okay. Mm -hmm. Right. I think that there's this false narrative that if you're a woman over 35 and you've never been married or you don't have kids or both, that something's wrong with you. It's just not true. And I think in 2020 that we cannot continue to conform to archaic societal standards that are often rooted in white supremacy and uh, uh, patriarchy, and rather we need to embrace what works for us individually, not collectively. Mm. So you've already taken us there. Thank you, sis. Y'all see why I have her on here. (laughs) And it's funny that you talk about kind of the, the patriarchal lens on womanhood, but then also, right, like on love. And I actually probably know I am a bell hooks stand. And so have read all about love, have read salvation. I'm now reading communion. In every single book, she talks about the prevalence of patriarchy and defining kind of those spaces for us. And I know that you do a lot of work around also kind of reproductive justice. You have built for a charter school network, um, just a really important sexual health program, right? Where you're teaching and reframing, helping folks to understand that perspective. And so for the layman, right, that's like patriarchal, (laughs) what are they talking about? 
um, in terms of like this, Michelle, break it down for us. Like, make it plain for folks. Like, what do they need to understand about how life and love and sexual health has been defined for us? And what is it that we're actually trying to dismantle? First of all, patriarchy is a system of society or, or government systems, or it's systems in which fathers or eldest men have all control and power and kind of it's passed down from generation to generation, leaving women very limited options on choice, Mm -hmm. voice, and the ability to have introspection around what's right for them. So it's this idea that men are right, women are just kind of characters in the background of men's lives, Mm -hmm. and that their needs, their wants, their ambitions, their drives are second to whatever men are in their lives, whether it's their family Mm -hmm. or whether it's their romantic partners. And I think we need to kind of shift that narrative and really try to dismantle that as much as possible because at the end of the day, it's oppressive, right? Mm -hmm. It puts people in situations where they are oppressed, where they don't have options in dating, where they're made to feel as though if you don't have a man, you're not a whole person. So just really kind of deconstructing that as it can lead to violence against women, it leads to wage gaps in our society, And it leads to this continued abusive dialogue around women being objectified and commodified. Awesome. I would even extend that conversation if David um, was with us now. I think he would also say that that patriarchal standpoint, so that view from, to be very honest, from a system that was created by white men, um, also presents then limitations yeah. for the sexual health and well-being of um, members of our LGBTQIA community as well. And I think in particular about trans women, right? And the abuse and the violence that they also have been subjected to. And then the fact that we have anonymized them and erased them, even from some of that conversation around womanhood and how they're treated. So kind of like going back to that earlier point you made about wholeness and wholeness Mm-hmm. in how it is defined by whether or not you are partnered. And since you can tell the people I'm not partnered. Oh, right. <laughs> but right. still feel right. whole. How does one navigate kind of like that reclamation, right? Like, what would you say to a woman that's like, Michelle, I'm 38. How old am I? 38. <laughs> Girl, I just be running up to 40 because I know I don't look it. But I'm 38. And up until, you know, April 12th, 2020, I have felt a sense of lacking because I am not partnered, right? Or I've been unable to sustain a relationship. Like, how do you respond to that? Well, I think that one, I too am 37, 38 and don't look close to 40 yet. And, Shut up! you know, we're in a much different, <laughs> a much different time in which, We don't necessarily need partners. I think it's important for us to, again, all of these ideas of not feeling whole Mm -hmm. because we're not partnered are rooted in an idea that women are commodified. First and foremost, whether it's 1952 or 2052, Mm -hmm. right? Being a whole person is not having a partner with you. And if you go into relationships with this notion that, oh, I'm going to find another half and that's going to make me whole, I would bet your relationship might have some deficiencies. I always say the first relationship starts with self. And if that relationship is off, all of the other relationships are off. And it would be my hope that when people enter into a relationship, whether male or female, that they enter into a relationship feeling whole by themselves. Mm -hmm. That is what will make for a fruitful relationship. Now, you use the word partnership, and I want to be very clear that relationships and marriage especially, that is a business, Mm. and we should look at it as such. While, of course, yes, there is love, the large majority of the things that married people do are contractual, Mm -hmm. buying a house, having children, Mm -hmm. signing a marriage license, Mm -hmm. and I'll be a good gosh darned if I want to go into partnership with someone or a partnership in a business with somebody who is not whole. Mm-hmm. You would never do business with somebody who has major deficiencies. And perhaps if we started to look at that in regards to relationships, we would see a lot more healthier relationships in our communities. 
I don't think we should stay focused on the, I am not whole without a partner. And I understand that those feelings may come up for us, but it is up to us to really challenge those feelings because that is society trying to put us in a box. Did you come to preach today? I feel like... <laughs> I, I mean, I don't know. Can I get an amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sister. Hallelujah. Allah. Allah. Hallelujah. And it's important, right? Because I think... I don't know. And I'll be curious about your response to this. I probably would have been an awful partner in my 20s. Like, I probably would have been bad oh, for I would a partner. Care. Even so than that, I would have been an awful to myself in a partnership. One... I don't know if you really know who you are as an individual until you've gone through some of the life changes that you go through going into your 20s. And again, it's not to say that that is standard, but I even look at, for instance, everybody knows I love my mama. I feel like I watch my mother become more of herself because she spent most of her life mothering in her 50s when she no longer had to take care of anyone else. And so I know that I am a better and will be a better partner to someone now heading into my 40s than I would have been trying to be the girl that was a doctor and married by the age of 26. I think that's silliness. (laughs) This idea of being married at 26, because when you think about how the brain forms, your brain is not fully formed until about 26. Mm -hmm. So if you are married at 26, what kind of decision-making skills did you have? Because your prefrontal cortex was not fully formed. And that's where you house judgment and really important skills when you're thinking about making life decisions. And so like, Michelle, as you you think about, right, let's center it in us. What would you say is the biggest lesson you've learned about yourself and womanhood in regard to both sexual health, but relationships coming into this part of life? That I'm not alone in my apprehensions or self exploration. Mm-hmm. Most of my female friends that are my age, somewhere between 35 and 40, are single, mm-hmm. especially the ones that are career driven. So I'm not alone in this exploration of relationships or sexuality. I would also say that I've learned masturbation is great and vibrators are important. So let's talk about that. (laughs) So let's talk about it, right? (laughs) Since you opened the door, let's talk about masturbation and what that ultimately means for pleasure, um, for self-care, right? Because there's a part of masturbation that's very much linked to self-care. What do you want folks that are listening to the Ice Coffee Confession right now to walk, if they don't walk away with anything else, what else do you need them to understand about the significance and importance of masturbation? That it is an act of self-love. It is an act of self-care, but most importantly, self-love. We know that orgasm can reduce stress. We know orgasm can help you sleep at night. It can boost your immune system, whether you're with a partner or you're masturbating or self-pleasuring. We know that it can boost your esteem. It can also help you identify what you enjoy in bed, what makes you tick sexually. And I think for a long time, especially if you are a woman of color who also is a woman of faith, for a long time you have been taught that that's just not what we do. And that is a lie that is most definitely rooted in patriarchy with the notion that women's sexuality is only there for men's pleasure. And that's BS. So... I'm going to ask a question that somebody is probably wondering. Can I be abstinent or celibate and masturbate? Does that mean I am neither of those things if I've chosen to masturbate? Here's the thing. That's up to you. And it also depends on why are you doing this? Like if this is for spiritual or religious reasons, that is between you and your God. And (laughs) I am not here to judge. Okay. I'm not here to tell you. I'm not here to cast doubt on your faith, but that's a really intimate and personal thing, just like prayer. Right. Right. And how you choose to worship. But if you are not having intercourse with another person, Mm -hmm. I would consider that to be continuing to be celibate. 
to some extent. I just don't see that there are rules. You know, there are people out there who are celibate, but practice mutual masturbation with their partners. And that's where both of you self-pleasure, but you don't touch each other. Who is one to say what is right and wrong? Again, that is a very personal practice. Mm -hmm. And that is something that you should do for you. But now, if you really want me to take you to church, when you think about the book of Ruth, And you think about this idea of loyalty. If I were to say I'm thinking about being like in this vein of Ruth and being loyal to God and loyal, I think a part of that is loyal to myself, Mm -hmm. right? And being honest with myself and being truthful with myself. And if this is a part of me developing myself, I think that masturbation is important because let's face it, biblically, because I know you are a spiritual woman. Since you know it. (laughs) I know it. Once you marry someone... It's kind of like all things go mm-hmm. in the bedroom with your partner, with your husband, right? Whatever. But if you ain't got no skill set and you don't know what turns you want, then what you doing? You said what if you, you don't doing? have the core competencies, right? So you treat it like a job. Hello? If you don't have the basic skills and don't have the metrics of success. <laughs> That's what I mean. We talking about a partnership. You got to come with the bullets on the resume. All right. Wait, wait, wait. So and speaking also, of coming, I think it's really interesting. Go ahead, sis. Oh, go go ahead. ahead. I'm sorry, girl. No, I just want to, and I'll wrap up on this. When you think about a marriage and, you know, I'm supposed to be able to fulfill my husband or my partner when I get married, mm-hmm. but I don't know what fulfills me. How am I then to be able to fulfill my partner while mutually fulfilling myself because you don't want to be in a partnership or in a union and not feel fulfilled. So it's important that you have a good understanding of what fulfills you so you can have a reciprocity in that sexual union and you can enjoy giving as much as receiving because you've been able to articulate to your partner what really gets you there. I want to clarify something because people tease me because I talk a lot about fighting and bopping. You're not talking about fighting and bopping, right? Because I think sometimes fighting and bopping is not necessarily fulfilling, right? Sometimes that is just human connection for the purpose of fighting and bopping. <laughs> yeah. You are talking about a different level of, of psyche and understanding and purpose. I think it's being intentional in identifying. Now, that's not to say that fighting and bopping won't teach you how to do something that you really like. Sometimes through thought and bopping is when you have moments of breakthrough (laughs) and clarity on things you weren't doing before. Right. And I'm not here to judge anybody. Sometimes we act like sex is supposed to just be sacred and between two people that know each other and love each other and care about each other. You know what? As long as it's between two consenting adults and you're protecting yourself and you're protecting your partner through the use of prophylaxis like condoms or dental dams, I don't give a good gosh darn what you got going on. (laughs) It don't matter how many partners you've had, whether one or 1,000, get tested, use condoms, and make sure it's consensual and live your best life. Thotting and bopping or otherwise. Thotting or bopping. Or otherwise. And to be clear to my listeners, I am not fighting or bopping. I was just clarifying for those of you that were wondering because you still thought and bopping and are not feeling fulfilled. So I'm going to make a statement, Michelle, and I want your response. And I'm not stating it as fact. I'm just going to make a statement. Is orgasm the fulfillment that we're looking for? And so instead of stating that as a question, I'm going to state it as a statement again and then want your response. Orgasm is the fulfillment we're seeking through sex. Well, you could be seeking all kinds of different things uh, with an orgasm. It could be, I can't sleep right now. I'm stressed out. It could be, I want to feel closer to my partner. Could be, I want to try this new toy. Nobody can tell somebody what it is for, Mm -hmm. right? Because every person is different. It's up to you. Did I answer that right? I mean, I don't even know if there's a right answer there. Right, and I don't don't Um, think there is a right answer, right? But I think, right, like... There are people that have never experienced orgasm. So for those that have never experienced it, define it, sis. Well, again, all vulvas are different. So therefore, all people are different. Therefore, all orgasms are different. But 
Orgasm is when you reach, you go from plateau. In the human sexual response cycle, it's excitement, plateau, orgasm. Orgasm is a release of a lot of chemicals, oxytocin, a bunch of hormones in the brain, but usually it's in response to stimulation. And when you orgasm, oftentimes it's like muscle contraction and it's involuntary muscle contraction. And that allows for like this release and you might feel a rush sensation. You might feel warm, tingly all over your body. Your vagina muscles may contract. It really depends on you as an individual. It's difficult for me to tell somebody how their orgasm will manifest because everybody's orgasm manifests differently, Mm -hmm. you know? And it's funny, um, y'all, I have the pleasure of knowing Michelle. And so completely like yesterday I ended up in this whole conversation about the G spot with her and I'm not talking about the gangster spot. And the reality is that there is no scientific proof that this elusive G spot exists. Michelle, can you walk us kind of down the science of that and the philosophy and the theory behind that? Well, first and foremost, the idea of an orgasm and the G spot comes from a German man, which I think starting right there is problematic. Mm-hmm. And here's my take on that. First of all, I can't pronounce this man's name. (laughs) Graffenberg is the man who supposedly discovered the G-spot. However, it is long contested in sexual health spaces and and by sexual health professionals, whether it is a spot, like a single spot, or if it is an area. Additionally, some research or a large majority of research has concluded that there is not enough conclusive evidence to suggest it is a spot. For men, they have a prostate. And Mm -hmm. sometimes if you tickle that prostate, that can create orgasm. For women, some would say, oh, if you just go in the vagina on the upper wall about an inch and a half to two inches in and tickle that spot, that is the G spot. But there's no anatomical button like you can like a doorbell, like Amazon is coming to deliver that new vibrator and hit it. <laughs> Ding dong. That's not a thing. And I think that, again, that idea. Of Wait, hold on. Pause so this. You said Amazon can't bring me my, my G spot. So take it out my cart. I'm taking if it out know, of my like, online bring, cart. I'm, you, it's out my online cart. Thank you. <laughs> I, no, no. Well, here's the thing. It's not that a vibrator can't get you to an orgasm. It's just not like the doorbell the Amazon man is dinging Mm -hmm. to bring you that vibrator, right? There's not one spot. So a lot of us don't understand our own anatomy. The clitoris, for example. If you've seen a vulva, you've seen the clitoris is the small nub at the top. That is the tip of the iceberg. A clitoris is actually about four inches long and it goes down internally. It goes down and around and kind of like a... Imagine a wishbone and all we see is that little top Mm -hmm. and that's got approximately anywhere from five to 8,000 nerve endings. And then it it parts down and goes around the vagina opening internally. And that is an organ in the body that is solely there for pleasure. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's all it is there. And so when we think about that, we have to remember that everybody's vulva looks different. So I always say the best orgasm is a triangular space mm-hmm. and the clitoris being the point. And then the bottom uh, line is the perineum, which is the, the, open, the space between the vagina opening and the anus. So if you focus on that triangle as a space of pleasure, and that could be a combination of penetration and clitoral stimulation at the same time. And that can help you get to orgasm. I often recommend when I work with couples, I encourage playing with toys. I encourage vibrators because clitoral stimulation is what's going to help you get there. So talk to us a little bit. There's somebody out there now that's like, Michelle Hope is my new sex expert, right? She's going to be the person that I reach okay. out to to help me really figure out, one, how I get in touch with my 
orgasm, <laughs> right? Or, you know, mm-hmm. I, I need her help and really figure out how I navigate my specific relationship and how we begin to develop healthy sex practices within our partnership. How do you work with clients and who and how should folks think about like when um, connecting with you, but then how are you supporting folks with their journey? Well, I really support through education. All of our sexual practices are learned behaviors. We don't come out the womb thoughting and bopping, right? <laughs> uh, we, I've said it before, I'll say it again. From the womb to the tomb, sexuality is a part of your everyday life. Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean you come out knowing what your sexual proclivities are or what you're into. So that's one. Additionally, we've been masturbating for a long time. When we're literal, we masturbate, but we don't masturbate for orgasm. We do it because it feels good and it's a self-soothing mechanism. Mm-hmm. So if you're a parent and you notice your child is masturbating frequently between the ages of like, I don't know, zero to about four, totally normal. Let's not chastise them. Let's explain to them that nobody else can touch their body like that and that they can't do that in public. All right. So one way I work with clients is through like education. It could be single or it could be couples. And it's a series of workshops, like one-on-one workshops that we would do. And I think therapy is great. If I start to notice that there are some tendencies that I think an individual might need some counseling with, I will recommend counseling. I am not a therapist, Mm -hmm. so I am not here to run CBT with you or Jungian or (laughs) Gestalt. We're not doing that. Mm -hmm. Although I have studied it, I'm not here to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. I want you to get practical, applicable skills to move you forward in your own personal exploration of your own sexuality. So it could be a series of three, six, nine, 12 sessions that we might do together, depending on what you're looking for and depending on if you're single or coupled. We'll kind of explore your sexual history. I will definitely want to know if there is trauma involved. Mm -hmm. And then I will give you the tools and the language. See, words are important and communication is huge in sex Mm -hmm. because sex and successful sex starts in the brain. It doesn't start in your genitals, right? Mm -hmm. I'll give you some lessons on your anatomy and how arousal works. And then we'll get into like what specifically you want to see happen. But for me, I want a beginning and an ending point. And then I send you on your way. And then let's say something comes up in your relationship later, we can check back in. So unlike a therapist, I'm not trying to be with you for years and years and years and years and years. Right. Because if that's the case, I haven't done what I needed to do. I'm here to teach you skills, give applications, and then see if those work. If those don't work, we go back to the drawing board. And we try some other skills, you have homework, and then you come back and we talk about it. Because the more comfortable you are talking about sex and sexuality, Mm -hmm. the better equipped you are to express to your partner your needs, Mm -hmm. your wants, and your deal breakers. And so it goes back to what you mentioned earlier which is the intentionality of it, right? So it's it's more than uh, Mm -hmm. you hop in a space and it's there. It's to your point, how you think about it, how you plan for it, how you prepare for it, Mm -hmm. um, and then how you experience it with a partner. So for someone that is like, I hear her, I get that a part of, of this is education. I guess it's kind of like, you probably have to admit first that you even need help. Right. Because I think something that has also been normalized is um, you've talked a lot about intentionality in words. As our good sis in Yala Van Zant says, you got to call a thing a thing. I don't know how comfortable people are calling it a thing. I have maybe destructive practices around my sexual behavior or I lack intention around how I think about sex. Like, what is it that people need to do to even begin to like crack the door to have this conversation? Well, first and foremost, I think it's recognizing that we can all learn. There's what you know, there's what you don't know, and then there's what you don't know you didn't know. Mm -hmm. And when it comes to sex and sexuality, most of us have had limited or shitty at best sex education growing up Mm -hmm. in black and brown communities because of systemic racism and a lack of cultural competency in the classroom, especially health classrooms. And a history of hypersexualization in America, 
we tend to not want to have conversations about sex Mm -hmm. because again, that's not what we do and it doesn't fall in alignment with our faith or our cultural practices. And then I think this is probably the most difficult part is to get real with yourself. Mm -hmm. A large majority of us have experienced some type of sexual trauma. Mm -hmm. That doesn't necessarily mean that all of us have experienced sexual assault because sexual trauma can come up in shaming Mm -hmm. in this idea that maybe you were the first to develop breasts in fifth grade and you were made fun of for that. Mm -hmm. And that stays with you. Right. Right. So I think that is the first thing. And then two, you really have to be open and lean in Mm -hmm. to the process. Anything that is going to make you grow is going to come with moments of discomfort. Again, totally normal. Mm -hmm. But if you want to have a fulfilling sex life, it is important that you get real with yourself first. Mm -hmm. First relationship starts with self. So you really have to sit, sit with yourself there and figure out what is it you're looking to seek in this space. And also understand that it's nobody else's responsibility to give you an orgasm. It is your responsibility to show up with the intention of having an orgasm. Now, I'm going to say this. Not every sexual experience will come with orgasm. Even if you are so in love and you are... <laughs> So romantically attracted to a person. Sis, it does pause, mean that every pause, pause, say it to the people in the back. <laughs> the people in the back it, need that again. Yeah, it, <laughs> yeah. And not every sexual experience is going to be enjoyable. And that doesn't mean that your partner doesn't like you or doesn't love you or this is not the right person for you. It's like every time you bake a cake, not always going to be a good cake. Right. You have to understand that there's an ebb and flow to this. And even if it's not great sex every single time, that doesn't make you a bad partner. It doesn't make you not good at it. If your partner can't ejaculate or you're not orgasming, it doesn't necessarily mean that you two aren't matched for each other because so many external factors play into your libido that... I mean, we could be here all day talking about what medications are you on? What kind of stress do you have going on at work? How are your sleeping patterns? What have you been eating? All of these things play into your ability to enjoy sex. And also, how are you internalizing sex? Right. Similarly to how do we internalize racism out in the world? A lot of us, if we experience some type of shaming, a lot of us will internalize that shame and then that shame is what keeps us from enjoying sex. So since, listen, we get Michelle Hope on TV and like putting her in a bullhorn around her around the world because I think these are really important conversations and perspective. Like even like in talking to her before and knowing her, I haven't thought about it, right? Like just the significance, right? Of self-awareness, right? And I have thought about self-awareness, but then there is a level of emotional intelligence and I would say a significant level of emotional intelligence required to have the maybe kind of peak sexual satisfaction and fulfillment. Mm-hmm. It takes maturity. Yeah. Because it boils down to, well, what if I like watching gay porn, like two males, which by the way, is actually very normal for straight women to enjoy watching two men. Not for me. And that's cool, too. And not for some, but some people really enjoy that. And being okay with that Mm -hmm. and being like, I'm okay with being turned on by this. Similarly, if, you know, I enjoy watching two women fornicate because it is sexy. That is sexy to me. Doesn't necessarily mean that I identify, although I am queer, but it doesn't mean that I identify as a lesbian. Mm -hmm. It's just women are beautiful. Two female bodies getting hot and heavy is a beautiful thing. And I'm okay with saying that. And the more you can be okay with whatever, maybe you like a thumb in your butt. Maybe you like anal sex. Maybe you like to be choked. Whatever it is, the more you can be comfortable with that. And by comfortable, I don't mean comfortable when you're four glasses of wine in. I mean stone cold sober. 
and not stone cold like I'm stoned, but like sitting here on a <laughs> what is it Monday at one forty two in the afternoon saying, "Girl, two women." Giving each other oral copulation is very hot to me. Mm-hmm. As long as you can say that, and you don't have to say that to anybody but yourself in the mirror and feel okay about that, then you're in a good place. But if you feel shame around that, I would recommend you explore where that shame is coming from. Because you in the bathroom looking at yourself. There ain't nobody there to judge you <laughs> but you. But again, like, Michelle, and you keep like, I'm going to get you a shirt. It's going to say hashtag intention and naming, right? Like, I think there is also this level of comfort being able, like, appreciating and honor the fact that, like, you identify as a queer woman, right? And that then translates into how you orient, but also the maturity that you have around them being able to express what your preferences are, right? In other spaces, right, me very much naming that there is a privilege, for instance, of being, like, a cisgender heterosexual woman and a preference for, like, we all know. I love a big, thick, old, muscular, strong man. And that, like, that's my preference. But we can sit here and have an adult conversation about our preferences and then how that leads into some of our decision making. And so there's a little bit of, like, I wish more people had this space to do that. And I think it's about the work that we do um, and the work that we allow ourselves to do, but also, like, just the pausing and being able to think through, like, what do I actually like? at the basics, right? So somebody may not be at the level of being able to be like, I am this and I like all of these things, but I don't even know if some people know their like minimum basic preferences. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> like I like to have, you know, right. sex in the dark or I prefer to have sex with the lights on. Like some people can't even name those minimum, uh, those minimal things about their preferences. I honestly think that's because we haven't normalized conversations around sexuality. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean the genital act of sex. I'm also talking about gender identity, which is how we feel inside about our gender, our gender expression, mm-hmm. how we express to the world our gender. I don't think we have a, a deep enough understanding of sensuality or like understanding sexualization because a lot of this is on a spectrum. I personally think you should have a group of friends, whether male or female or mixed, that you can have active conversations about gender, about orientation, about your own personal sexual proclivities Mm -hmm. without judgment. We all need that friend circle because sometimes things come up and you need somebody to talk to. I really urge friends to be able to have those conversations with each other. Cause I have a whole host of friends that are like, girl, (laughs) I don't like the idea of a woman. That is icky to me. Like, periods and babies. Like, that's not sexy to me. I like a strong man. And I'm like, that's cool, too. Great. I like a strong man, too. (laughs) Uh, But I think we have to start normalizing conversations around sexuality, not just between our partners. But, you know, next level would be at least a, a small group of our friends. Absolutely. So Michelle, we're going to take a quick break because I want to come back and talk about a couple of quick hot topics. Um, And this has been hot indeed. But we want to come back and talk about love and sexuality in a quarantine. So we're going to take a quick break and then we'll jump back in it. All right. So we're back. And Michelle... It has dropped like thousands of gems. So hopefully you all have had your notebooks out. We're going to talk about a hot topic right now, which is this whole entire trying to find love, be in love, get some love (laughs) in the middle of a quarantine. And so Michelle, I know that like a good friend of mine, Janice is doing a slide and DMs thing uh, in a couple of days where folks will post on like social media and you can slide in their DMs. You have Hinge, you have Bumble. What recommendations do you give to folks or would you give to folks to think about um, using kind of that muscle we talked about and intention and trying to navigate, especially if you are, let's start with single people in a quarantine. So I think right now is a great time to be exploring dating apps because now since we're quarantined, we are faced with, I don't want to call it a conundrum, But what I do want to call it is we are presented with the opportunity to 
deeper dives around what we want in a partner. And because we are quarantined, we are required to have actual conversations. We are required to actually get to know somebody beyond the surface level just to hook up. We're taking it back to the old school because I'm an old fool who's so cool. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, I had to. Um, but it's an opportunity for us to like not just swipe right, meet somebody for cocktails and hook up. It's an opportunity to get to know somebody and really start having conversations around what you hope for in a relationship, what you're looking for in a relationship. A great question to ask someone if you're in some sort of getting to know somebody off a dating app would be what are three things you absolutely must have during quarantine? Mm. Right. Oh, let me write that down. How has this, <laughs> okay. I got, go ahead, sis. What else am I asking him? <laughs> what have you learned about yourself during these stay at home orders? How will you apply that to your life? when we come out of stay at home orders mm. and this social distancing, are you happy you were social distancing alone? Would you have rather had been with a partner? Mm -hmm. um, I think these are all really important things to ask if you're single and you're looking to do some dating during social distancing and you can date, you can do fun things like, you know, insecure just came back. So you can Girl, have an insecure date. We're going to talk about that in a second because I have so many thoughts about Molly as a friend. Uh <laughs> okay, so an insecure date. I love this. I'm liking this. Okay. You could do Skype dates. You could do FaceTime dates. One thing I would say, if you're going to do a FaceTime date during this social distancing, brush your hair, put some <laughs> lip gloss on, and at least a decent top. If they can't see the bottom half of you, at least put on a good top. So you say my waist trainer and, and my nightshirt that we're recording in is not my first hinge date in a quarantine outfit option. Maybe not. <laughs> you know, I'd love to see you with a red lip. <laughs> a blush. My eyebrows drawn um, in. <laughs> I, I mean, th at this point, there ain't no place to get your eyebrows done. My eyebrows is looking wild. And then also, I think just getting to know people, maybe sharing articles, news articles or articles on relationship or things you both might be interested in. This is a great time to find out what people's interests are mm -hmm. versus their favorite liquor. Because mm. that's really easy. That's low hanging fruit. Because, you know, I realize on a date, I do pay very close attention to the drink that a man orders. And you know, I'm a brown liquor girl. So I'm on some yak usually. I usually have a Hennessy um, based drink for any guy that's listening to this that wants to know for future reference, Hennessy, pineapple, and cranberry. So I'll never forget, I went on this date. One of the first dates I went on when I moved to Brooklyn in 2011, um, we went to this bar by the house and like I had ordered like a Hennessy or Jack or something. He's like, oh, I want like pineapple Ciroc. And I, like, instantly judged him. I'm like, you like Fruity Pebbles liquor. Like, <laughs> I don't know if maybe that colored how I felt about him for the rest of the date. But I remember being like, oh, like, I drink stronger beverages than you. <laughs> so I do think that that's a great place. What about for people, right? So I'm asking for a friend, maybe not a friend, that might have met someone right before the quarantine and then... We're on love lockdown. What are your recommendations to people that are like, man, I just met someone like right before the quarantine, navigating kind of the getting to know you in a space where like, I've been with you physically, I've met you before, I enjoyed like the physical energy, but I'm not sure how this translates in this now virtual space. Again, this is an opportunity for you to explore. See, here's the other thing. In a self-quarantine kind of situation, we have this, our brains, because they're just so complex, we romanticize about being with this person. Mm -hmm. uh, and we have to remember that these are unordinary times. Mm -hmm. And that 
the way you're getting to know someone right now is not how they're going to be. We're off quarantine. Like you may never hear from them again once they have all these restrictions lifted. (laughs) And so don't get overwhelmed in like, oh, this person's going to be with me forever. Be realistic. Maybe, you know, this person didn't call you much before the quarantine, but now they on you, on you. Mm -hmm. When these restrictions are lifted, you should anticipate that they're going to go back to not being on you so much. And don't romanticize about it like, oh, this person really, really likes me. No, they're bored. So you said, don't be Mike. It's not Mike Jones. We are not Mike Jones. It's not back then. They didn't want me. Now they all want me. It's uh, right now they got to be in the house. No. <laughs> yes. So then I won't take offense. Because you know you're not hot right now. Listen, I won't take offense then to the fact that the person I met right before quarantine, I don't really talk to. I'll catch up with him after <laughs> the quarantine is over. Yeah, because also people... The other thing is, is this is traumatic. Oh, absolutely. And everybody processes trauma differently. Mm -hmm. Every single person processes trauma differently. So you have to be willing to give people their space. And I've said this before. I've been in a long distance relationship for over a year now. Mm -hmm. And there's an ebb and flow in that Mm -hmm. because we are on different sides of the world. Mm -hmm. Workload for both of us is an ebb and flow. And sometimes we have great connection and there's all this amazing connection, even though we're so far apart. And then sometimes I don't hear from this fool for days. Mm. And sometimes I find myself getting in my own head about it. Like, what are they doing? They must be with other people. And it's like, or maybe they're just working. So I think the same thing applies in these, these strange times. Right. Right. What I I would Um, hope is. And not to cut you off, uh, Michelle, but like this is an opportunity to be still. And what I've been really grateful for is not overthinking in this period. I think this would right. be a time, if, if any time to overthink, that folks would be overthinking. But there's a part of me that is very clear that God, who's my creator, whatever creator folks believe in, is asking the world to be still and to be patient. And I think overthinking would be to the detriment of, and again, you depending on what kind of support you have, I feel very blessed that I have a weekly appointment with my therapist. We've now moved to virtual where we can process this because we are going to come out of this quarantine period with some PTSD of varying levels. It's just, I don't want people to be wrapped up in their heads because that would lead to some pretty, I think, toxic and detrimental outcomes for folks. Absolutely. And then in addition to that, again, somebody that's been in a long distance relationship, I'm already in my head all the time. Right. So these are things I have to fight because I'm not perfect. I think everybody assumes because of the work that I am in that I have this wild sex life that I know all the right answers to relationship quandaries that I have no problems in my own situations. And that is not true Mm -hmm. because I am human. Right. When you are human and I have past trauma, trauma doesn't go away. You might be through it and it might be in your rear view mirror, but sometimes it's like a boomerang and it comes back. So being able to check in to that and understand how do I care for myself when these things come up for me and being in self quarantine is a great opportunity for you to examine what are my self care Like, what do I have in my toolkit to address some of these issues? Because what you don't want to do is take it out on the other person. I love that you have a therapist. I think all people should have therapists. I've had therapists many, many times, and it's helped me get through things, and it's totally normal. But really, during these times of stillness, Mm -hmm. putting into practice uh, tangible acts, to help you ground yourself in what is real and what can you do? Because at the end of the day, the only thing you have control of, it's not another person. It is your own emotions. Absolutely. That's why I love what you said in terms of when you go in on these hinge dates, asking these people how they, not so much like what is your favorite color, Right. But like, how are you orienting? What kind of self-care are you taking? How are you adjusting to the quarantine? Because also, I think it actually opens up one, the level of vulnerability if you're actually trying to date with the spirit of like relationship and partnership. Right. Beginning to see how authentically or vulnerable somebody can be. 
but just like re- having like real conversations and creating like safe spaces and for yourself and that the person that you are maybe potentially building with with to your point an expectation that how people are acting now is not or may not be how they will behave whenever we are quarantine free because my question to you is what you doing first when you got a quarantine sis (laughs) going to a happy hour because I'm not an alcoholic. I'm a people-holic. And I need to see people. Right. I feel fulfilled when I have the ability to interact, to conversate, to just be around people. I'm also going to get waxed, get my <laughs> upper lip done, my eyebrows done, and make an appointment with my Botox doctor. That's what I'm doing. Listen, my eyebrows are so shoddy. So since the last thing I do with all of my guests, this has been phenomenal, Michelle. I'm grateful for you. The the last thing that I do on all of my iced coffee confessions with my guests is a section called A Little Bit of Tea. And it is your opportunity to give advice to your younger self. So picture whichever younger self you want to. I won't be specific around age range or when in your life. What's some advice you'd give to your younger self now? I would tell my younger self this two shall pass and you will be a better stronger more in tune woman with yourself by leaning in and not resisting change that may come love it michelle hope how can my listeners find you on the interwebs you can find me at mh sexpert on all social media platforms you can follow me on twitter instagram facebook mh sexpert And, uh, you know, I'm around. And then I have a website, www.mhsexpert.com. Awesome. Thank you so much, Michelle. To my listeners, glad to be back. This was an amazing kickoff to our Owning Our Feminine Essence series. Uh, Michelle, grateful for your friendship, grateful for your knowledge. Uh, Make sure you hit my girl up on the internet. Um, She did a live last week that I thought was phenomenal. Um, with another expert within this space. Um, I think there's a ton that we have to learn, not just about our own pleasure, but um, some of the work Michelle also does a- around reproductive justice. And just excited to be back and grateful that you all have joined me on our most recent episode of the Ice Coffee's Confessions. Take care, loves. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Iced Coffee Confessions. We'd love to stay in touch with you. You can find us on social media, via Facebook at Iced Coffee Confessions or on Instagram at The Real Iced Coffee Confessions. See you soon.